Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are far from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us, and if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thank you, Angela. I sometimes think there's so much love in that chapter that um, that we don't hear it somehow. Um, I mean, John is trying to make a point, isn't he, quite clearly. 
we love because God first loved us. If we love God, he says, God lives in us. I mean, just contemplate that for a moment, the idea that the creator of heaven and earth lives in us just because we show love. And not only that, but his love is made complete in us. So his love doesn't quite work until it's made complete in us. That That's just a concept that I find amazing. So on that note, we're going to listen to Malcolm's words of love. Good morning, everybody. Seems a long time since I've been here. But it's lovely to be with you. Um, the problem with, uh, with loving people is that uh, people behave so much like people. Uh, they block uh, the road that, that you need. Uh, they take time. They take patience. They break promises. They break hearts even. Now God helps us to, to love people by giving us uh, some great verses in his word. And the best one, in, in my opinion, is the one I'd like to share with you uh, right out of the book of First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11 that we were just reading, which says this. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love each other. But there's a different approach. If you want somebody, if you want to love somebody, you must understand how much God loves you. All of the Bible, I'd be as bold to say, can be reduced down to, to one phrase. God loves you, let him. The big, the big news of the Bible is not just that God, that God made the world, but God loves the world. Not just that God exists, but a loving God exists. Yes, God exists. Yes, yes, God is love. And he loves you passionately, personally, intimately, eternally. Not because you're lovable, because you aren't always like just like me. But because he has chosen to love you. His word to you is this. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3. This is the message of the Bible. Any doubt about the the love of Jesus for people evaporated when the resurrected Jesus showed up and begins showing up to his friends. I think the sweetest of those appearances Appearance stories is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you just turn in your Bibles to John, chapter 20, uh, that's where we're going to centre, I'm going to centre this exhortation today. And it begins like this, John, chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. The story begins in the, in the shadows. While it is still dark. It, it was dark. 
The long, painful weekend had come to an end. The betrayal of of Thursday, the crucifixion of Friday, the sad silence of Saturday, one shadow after another. And then on Sunday, on Sunday morning, several women made their way to the cemetery to anoint the, the body of Jesus and conclude the work that had begun on Friday. There were several women And in John's Gospel, he focuses on one by the name of Mary Magdalene. We don't know much about about Mary Magdalene. But in the forest of the the New Testament, we do know this. She is the the weeping willow upon whom tragedy cast its coldest winter. The the Gospel of Luke says this in chapter 8 and verse 2. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. Seven demons. What does that mean? Seven afflictions, maybe. Depression, loneliness, shame, fear. Maybe a combination of them all. Maybe she was a a recluse. Sometimes the, the number seven is used in the Bible to describe completeness. So maybe she was completely overwhelmed. But then something happened. Or you might say, Jesus happened. Luke says, Mary Magdalene, for whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. At some point, Jesus intersected with the story of Mary Magdalene. And he cleaned out those oppressive forces, those illnesses that had worked their way into her mind and her life. And again, we want, we want more details, but we, we don't have them. But we can say this, for the first time in a long time, Mary Magdalene could smile again. She could look in the mirror and see the, a peaceful face. She could eat again. She could sleep. Jesus restored her to her life. And she reciprocated. She was among the first followers of Jesus who was contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. We read in in Luke chapter 8 and verse 3. Wherever Jesus went, Mary Magdalene followed. She saw him perform miracles. She saw him teach. She helped him with his expenses. She may have even prepared a meal or two. She was always near Christ. And John tells us in chapter 19 and verse 25 that she was there even at the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood the mother, stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas. And there we have it, Mary Magdalene. Near enough to hear the hammer pound the nails near enough to see the blood flow from his pierced side, near enough that when his body was lowered from the cross, she was there to help prepare prepare it for burial. On Friday, she watched Jesus die. On Saturday, she observed when the other disciples, along with the other disciples, a long, sad Sabbath. And then early on Sunday morning, she awoke, And she went to the tomb to finish the work that she'd began on Friday. 
The sky was dark. The road was dark. Her heart was dark. She knew nothing about the empty tomb. She was expecting to do nothing more than wash the final clots of blood out of his beard and say goodbye. It was a dark morning. When she arrived at the cemetery, things went from bad to worse. John tells us that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She assumed that the grave robbers had taken the body. She hurried down the road and got Peter and John. She told them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. Peter and John ran to the gravesite. But Peter, he got there last. John was faster, but Peter was bolder. He went straight inside and he looked and he saw the empty slab and he stared. John went in though. And he saw the empty slab and he believed. He said that this was the moment that he believed. That Jesus was risen from the dead. Not that the body was stolen. And Peter and John hurried to tell the others. And we would expect that the camera lens of the gospel would follow them. After all, they're, they're apostles. They're the authors of the epistles. They're two of the three of the inner circle. We'd expect that John would would tell us that the story of what happened to Peter and John. Well, he will in time, but not until first he tells us what happened to Mary Magdalene. He stays and he turns his attention and he says in verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She didn't understand what had happened. She had not yet, she was yet to have a moment like John. For all she knew, the body of Jesus had been spirited away. Another translation says, but Mary stayed right there, just outside the tomb, crying and crying. Her face was awash with tears, her shoulders heaved with sobs. She felt all alone. So it's just Mary Magdalene, an empty tomb, and her sadness. And as she wept, we read in verse 12, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated with Jesus' body, where where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, Why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Mary Magdalene mistook angels for men. And it's easy to see why. It was still dark outside, and it was even darker inside the tomb. She was upset. Her eyes were tear-filled. She had no reason to think there would be angels inside the tomb. So she says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. This is where Mary, Mary's world officially hits rock bottom. Her master was killed 
His body was buried, and now his body is stolen. And she doesn't know where they've taken him. Maybe you've experienced, you have an experience like this. Just maybe. What is bad gets worse before it gets better. And sorrow just wraps around you like a shroud. You never imagined what happened. And you even come perhaps looking for Jesus and you can't find him. If your story's like Mary Magdalene's, I just can't wait to tell you what happens next. Because even though her world was dark, right in the midst of her dark, of her dark world, look what happened. The sun came out. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. She didn't recognize her Lord. And so when she didn't recognize him, he did something about it. He called her by name. Jesus said to her, Mary. Maybe it's the way he said it. Maybe it was the intonation, the inflection, the tone, the Galilean accent. Maybe it was the the memory associated with it. When When she first heard him say her name. And for the first time, the the demons didn't speak it. Whatever. Whenever she heard his voice, she knew the source. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In that moment, in that second, in the pivot of her neck, in the amount of time it took her to rotate her head from this way to that, her world went from dark to light, from a dead Jesus to a living one. And then she threw her arms around him. She embraced him. We know this because of what Jesus says next in verse 17. Do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to my father. Maybe she fell at his feet and held his ankles. Maybe she knelt before him and took his nail, nail-pierced hands. Maybe she just put her arms around him. We don't know how she held him, but we know that she did. And equally importantly, we know that Jesus let her. He was not so holy, not so otherly, not so divine, not so conquering king that he didn't have a moment to receive the kind touch of one of his dearest friends. I think someone should paint the scene, you know. Someone should transfer it from the palette of oil to canvas and frame it. And I'd like it to look something like this. 
to make sure that, that the sunrise is brilliantly orange and the grass is de- deliciously green and to make sure that the stone be rolled away sitting in the background and the angels looking on and make sure that the caps cap, capture the glisten of the sunrise in the glisten of the tears on Mary's cheeks and make sure, most importantly, that they capture the smile on Jesus' face. I think this moment serves as a sacred uh, purpose because it reminds us both the power and the love of God and Jesus. The power of God to defeat death. That's the empty tomb. But the tender love of Jesus for people like Mary Magdalene. That's Jesus with her. And once the conquering king and the gentle shepherd. This is our God. This is our Jesus. Well, then Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had, that he had said these things to her. That's what we read in verse 18. To her, of all people. Maybe the angels wanted him to go to Caesar. Maybe there was a group who wanted him to put in their appearance to Herod. There were 10,000 angels ready to serve him. Maybe they were ready to crown him and make him king. But he told everybody to wait a second. And he went to her. Why her? We never read of her again. She never appears in the book of Acts. She didn't write an epistle. And if she had a miracle in her life, we're not told about it. Why her? The only thing I can come up with is this. This is what love does. This is what love does. Love shows up in hard times in sad places, in dark corners, and brings hope. And Jesus loved her. And listen to me. Jesus shows you how much God loves you. He does. He enters your world. And if you don't recognize his face, he'll call your name. He knows your name. See, I have engraved you On the palm of my hands, Isaiah tells us. Your name is not buried in some heavenly file. He doesn't need a name tag to jog his memory of you. Your face is ever before him. You're tattooed on the palm of his hands. He has more thoughts about you than you can ever imagine. You are everything to him. You know, some time ago I read a story about a priest who went to visit a relative in Ireland. And while he was there, he and his uncle Patrick got up one early one morning and went to Lake Killarney to watch the sunrise. And they stood on the shoreline to watch the sunrise. And the two of them hardly spoke for about 20 minutes. And finally when the sun was up, they resumed their walk back and the priest noticed that his uncle was smiling 
And he turned to his uncle and he said, you look happy. And he said, I am. Why? And he said, because the father of Jesus is fond of me. He's fond of you too. He's fond of you too. Do you find that hard to believe? Do you think I am I'm talking to somebody else? Somebody who's perhaps holier, wiser, better. Somebody who didn't perhaps mess up with something. Somebody who didn't get hooked on some addiction or popularity or pride. You might think I'm talking to somebody else, but I'm not. I'm talking directly to you. And I'm telling you the big news in history is the news that God didn't just make the world, but God loves the world. And right now at the centre of the universe there beats a heart, a heart of love that is unconditional, that does not depend upon you. And that he loved you before you knew him. And he loves you when you've forgotten him. And listen to me. You've never lived one unloved day in your life. He loves you. Perhaps someone told you that God loves you only, that God loves only people, good people. There's no good people. Perhaps somebody told you that if you love God, he would love you back. That's wrong. He loved you before you even existed. Maybe somebody told you that God is perpetually ticked off or angry or ready to settle a score with the human race. That's wrong too. We're perpetually angry, ticked off or ready to settle scores. But God is sheer grace and sheer mercy. This is what Psalm 103 says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed, as so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You know, when I was reviewing this exhortation earlier in the week, my mind went back to the time that I first saw those grainy scan pictures that expectant mothers can have of their babies to be. Let me tell you something about those pictures. Though it may be many weeks before Marianne and Faith, my daughters, would be born, I already loved them. I already loved them. I would do anything for them, which is not hyperbole. I would do anything for them. But I'd not seen their faces. I'd never held them. 
didn't, I didn't even know what the names would be. Neither of them had made me a cup of tea. Neither of them had hugged my neck or done a little dance. You get that, don't you? Why? Because there's part of me in them both. Why does God love you? Because there is something of him in you. When they said you were just a lady, they were wrong. You, you're a child of God. When they told you you were just a fella in the office, they were wrong. You're God's idea, and he doesn't have any bad ideas. There's something of God inside you. You were made in the image of God. You're unlike any species on this planet. You've been set apart for a, a holy purpose, and he's placed a divine spark within you. And when you say yes to him, by trusting what his son did for you, there's a spiritual activation that happens. And this blow, love blows upon that spark, like a gust of wind on an ember, and life begins. Something new happens. And that light continues to increase until you have a warmth and a light, that you are a warmth and a light to the people that you see and the places that you go. You're not perfect, but you're being made perfect by Christ Jesus himself. He has this wild, inexplicable love for you that does not depend on you. If it depended on you and me, we'd probably go balmy trying to, to figure it out. How to please him. But it doesn't. So he's not going to love you more if you're better. And he's not going to love you less if you're worse. His love for you does not depend on you. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. So my final point is simply this. Let God love you. Let God love you. Just let him. Learn to live and bask and appreciate. Let your happiest thought be the thought that God is fond of me. And as you let God love you, here is something else that's going to happen. You're going to learn to love other people. This is the, the sequence that scripture gives us. We love because he first loved us. You see, as you learn to trust God's patience for you, with you, you're going to be more patient with, other, with others. As you learn to trust God's grace towards you, you're going to give grace to others. As you learn to believe that God accepts you, with all your quirks, guess what? You'll accept him or her with their quirks too. Something happens. Your heart gets softer. You become less judgmental, less bitter. And you give her a love that you have been given. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul made it his highest prayer. He said this, May you have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long 
and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God loves us. Consequently, we love others. So if you want to love others, let God love you. Full stop. End of story. End of excitation. Let God love you. Let God make you happy. And you will, will, will in turn do the same for others. By the way, what's happened to Mary is going to happen to you and to me. Jesus came and appeared to her. And he's going to appear to us on the final day. You'll see his face and I'll see his face, just like Mary. And I believe he's going to call our names. And I do know that when he does that, we're going to want to do and be allowed to do what Mary did. Put our arms around him and say, thank you, teacher. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen.